When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you it's never too late to write your next chapter. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Transforming 45. Uh, I met Shoshana French a couple of weeks ago and had just the best conversation with her. So I've really been looking forward to recording this podcast. Shoshana is the founder of Simple Spirit, and her goal is to cultivate wildly successful leaders through the practical power of intuition. And I love this combination because when we think of leaders... We don't always immediately go to intuition. So I am thrilled to be having this conversation with you today. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Lisa. I'm excited for our conversation. I know it's going to be good. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be great. Uh, So tell me your story. How did you get to where you are at this point? Um, I always go like, how far back should I go? Uh, You know how that goes. Like with these stories, there's lots of turning points. Mm -hmm. Yes, there are. Probably like the very first turning point was senior year in high school. I was really religious. And there was a, um, there was a shooting at the Chuck E. Cheese I worked. And uh, it kind of like changed my view about the world. Because at 16, I was, um, I mean, I wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't say that I had not experienced hardship, but that was a whole different thing. It changed how I view the world. And then I went off to college with this very different kind of unsettled view of the world. Didn't know, I felt like I knew everything. And then the shooting happened, then I knew nothing. That's kind of how that went. Then I went off to college and I was uh, for sure a seeker and some seeking led me to some not so great people, (laughs) as you can imagine, right? Like some people are looking for seekers. Um, But thankfully, one of my best friends at the time took me to a metaphysical bookstore and she walked me in the door and the owner of the bookstore walked up to me and said, there you are. And I thought maybe she had told her about me. Nope. Came to find out about three years later, she told me the story. Once she felt like it wouldn't scare me off, um, she had had a dream about me. And in her words, source came to her and said, a girl will walk in the store and you'll recognize her by her freckles, teach her everything you know. So that was kind of the that was like, for me, the second kind of turning point, the first one being 93. And then this was about 96. And uh, it started me on this whole pathway. And um, I won't get into all the details. But in 2005, I found myself in a class and the woman said, everyone before the end of this year is going to start a business. And um, while I had an entrepreneur in my family, a couple of them, 
Um, mostly the people in my family did pretty traditional jobs, nurse, doctors, um, like my grandfather was like a therapist, like that kind of doctor, um, teachers and, uh, running a business was never anything I had in mind. Um, but I went ahead and started one because she was my coach and I believed her. And at the time, the thing that made the most sense and seemed like easiest for my brain was to become a psychic. And so that's where I started. I started 2005 doing psychic readings at coffee shops. And then um, I'm skipping a lot of things, but then fast forward 2010, I was in the newspaper, Psychic Eye on Sports, where I was like doing predictions about who would go to championships. I know nothing about sports, let's be clear. Um, and that kind of launched me into this weird thing where people wanted me to predict and do future telling stuff, which I loathed. And then I was in a business class about two years later and someone said, okay, so are you meeting your aims in life? Like, are you having the kind of life you want? And at the time the answer was no, I was still in a day job working really hard. Um, and building my business on the evenings and weekends, I felt like I was working all the time. I didn't feel like I was, I was, I was working literally all the time. And the guy told me you are on track for being famous psychic if you want. And I was like, heck no, I don't want to do that. That is definitely not of interest to me. And he said, well, you're going to have to find a way to quantify intuition. Otherwise your market is going to be too small to meet the aims that you want. And so um, I quantified intuition. I found a way to talk about it that was for the skeptics and for the logical people, for the people who are really practical. Um, came up with like a quiz and a test, which is trademarked the intuitive blueprint um, and started to train people how to become intuitive decision makers. And that kind of led me on this pathway and journey to and of course, someone could hear this and be like, yeah, but that's all about our business. It was, but it was also about who I, how I thought of myself and how I viewed myself in the world and like my own spiritual pathway and my relationship to people. And my husband was like the guy that was my best friend who became my boyfriend, became my husband, was all kind of in that whole pathway. Um, and then last year I had a client who said, this thing you teach about communication, because it's a big part of what I talk about. Um, could you teach that to my team? And I kind of developed a communication workshop and that kind of got mushed together. So now we're at where we are right now, caught all up, which is the world of intuitive leadership. What is it to listen? How do you listen? How does intuition fit into leadership? What is leadership? What are the parts of leadership that I'm really excited and inspired by? Radical collaboration, um, intuition, and aligned purpose. And so that's how we got to this spot right now. That's the shortest version, if you believe it, the shortest version of that story I've ever told. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's very succinct. And thank you for sharing your story. I really appreciated it. I, I appreciate it. And when our stories sometimes start with a trauma like that, it's amazing the way that pattern continues to flow through the story, right? There's, there are, it becomes, I was having a conversation with another person yesterday. It's like, it likes, it becomes a little incubator, right? Where this experience happens and it creates a space for transformation that you absolutely can't ignore. And I'm wondering if you, if you notice that experience in that as well. 
Well, for sure. I mean, if we looked at like a theme, multiple themes in that story, but one of the themes in that story was finding myself in the right place at the right time with someone who was there to help me. And I would say that um, the thing that happened, the very first trauma that happened that kind of set me on this, you know, path away from the really fundamental religious upbringing I had, I was a Christian in the eighties, which means it was pretty fundy. It was like purity promises and on like all of those kind of things to really take me out of that required throwing everything I knew to be factual and real on its head. And then kind of what I would say is that it like for sure has continued like even today. Right. So, you know, I have this new thing I'm talking with people about, which is this authentic communication for powerful leadership. Like I was just in Seattle this, like this past week um, to lead it to this really cool company. And I've been wondering, it's been feeling like that it's something separate from this thing that I've been talking about for 19 years. And this got, and this man that I talked to reflected to me that that's actually not the case. And, um, and again, another person, right. Another person, right place, right time conversation to embolden my own intuitive sense of what is right. And I would say that's a theme. That's been a theme throughout. Like I could, you know, talk about, I could give names and talk about people who have done that. And, you know, I remember I was talking to this woman once, and maybe this will reflect for you or other people, but part of our story is like the themes about you know, belonging and loss and all of that. And she was really like, it made her cry thinking about how little she had felt supported in her own story and how Mm -hmm. supported I had felt in mine. And what I said to her, because I really think it is valuable as a reflection is that the people who supported me are not the people you thought would. So it wasn't like my mom and dad were supporting me. Like that's not, it wasn't actually them at all. And I have heard of other people who had really supportive, amazing parents, right? And grandparents and all that kind of stuff. And the people who really supported me on my journey were unexpected. There were some, you know, familial support, but for the most part, it was like complete strangers who were like, come in, you're welcome. You belong here. And um, it fed my belief that all of us need to be following our intuition because that's what leads us to those unexpected places of support, which is a huge part of just my journey and my story. Yeah, absolutely. Do you, in retrospect to looking back, like even before um, the experience that you had at your workplace, do you, can you see how intuition played a role even maybe when you weren't cognitive of it, but you now looking back on it can see the subconscious elements of it? Yeah. Growing up, they called it um, gifts of gifts of the spirit, right? Spiritual mm-hmm. gifts, and so one of them that they talked a lot about was discernment. And um, I use that a lot. I think that I remember, as an example, the class I just happened to be in while this thing happened at my work, my senior year in high school. I was in a world religions class, mm-hmm. and. As a really devout Christian, it was surprising that I took that class, but I just felt drawn to it for some reason. And it was the perfect class for me to take. And the teacher 
had each of us study or explore a religion that was not our own. And that was a big deal for me. And I studied Zen Buddhism. And I would say that now all these years later, I was, you know, 17 then, I'm 47 now. So that was a long time ago, 30 some years ago, that Zen Buddhism felt super puzzling to me then, but it makes absolute sense to me now. Like it is where I landed. It is mindfulness, it's presence, it's, you know, letting go of attachment. It's being truly kind and open and loving of others and recognizing our purpose is to be light feet on the earth, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But at 17, that didn't make any sense. My belief in the world was really black and white. So thankfully my intuition, I think that was really discernment that led me to that class. If that makes sense. It was like, Oh, I, I just, at the time I would have just said, well, I just feel really curious about it. And now I know, you know, after teaching 10,000 people about intuition, where your curiosity grows is where your intuition is like pulling you. And so I know that that's what it was. I just didn't know what that was at the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. And I mean, my, I have, um, a, a similar pathway in some ways. Um, I grew up in the Anglican church. So Episcopalian is what it would be in this, in the States. So not fundamental in that way, but I could, I understand what fundamentalism does. Right. So when you talked about, it, I was very black and white, that is what fundamentalism does. It creates that. I'm just going to crack up. Cause those dogs are like, no, 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 we must get our opinion out. <sighs> I also had leaders and mentors outside of my family, outside of my faith experience. And similarly, when you were talking about the woman who said, oh, there you are, that's the experience I've had multiple times as well with people who have come into my life where I knew that person was meant to be here for a reason. And it, it it's such a different feeling. It's not just a, oh, it's really nice to meet you. It is literally a, oh, there you are. And uh, so a, a teacher of mine that I had in high school, I was taking an English literature course uh, and she f- structured it in such a brilliant way. So there were only 13 people in the class and we sat around a conference table. We weren't even in a classroom. We sat in a conference room around the table and the books that she was bringing forward had lots of um, religious undertones as most do. Right. And so I, I always could pull out those themes because of my Christian experience and heritage. And it was this interesting intersection with her because she was stridently atheist. Hmm. So we always had these back and forth. So she would appreciate that I could appreciate that I could see the themes and bring them forward. At the same time, she was very critical of my belief. Hmm. But what that allowed me to do was separate out what was truly something I felt internally from what was this religious structure, right? Which are very, very different things. And today I don't practice in a church. I'm a very spirit, I'm a very spiritual person, but because I now know so much of what I believe to be true exists in opposition to the structure of religion that I, you know, there are things that are beautiful about it. The ritual, my muscle memory, anytime I walk into a building kicks in, but it is those intuitive people that come into our lives in ways that are beautifully mysterious, that help to direct us to where we're meant to be going. Yeah. 
there's this, um, some of what, just to reflect, it's sometimes those people who are in our life who don't believe things the same way we do, they, they've either, either they're just different than we are for whatever reason, but quite often their view of the world is different. Um, there is this branch of philosophy called metaphysics and people talk about the metaphysical, but it's about it's philosophy overall is just not, is not questioning what you believe, but why you believe it. And in my childhood, because of like, we were talking about fundamentalism, because of fundamentalism for me, there wasn't a lot of questioning. There was not, it was not an, there was not an invitation to question. Does that make sense? It's like fundamentalism at its core is about, um, you know, adhering to a very, dogmatic approach to whatever the belief system is. It is very like right, wrong. This is right. This is wrong. And in my um, upbringing, there was a lot of like, oh, that's a cult. That's a cult. Yoga, that's a cult. Mm, Mormonism, that's a cult. So many things called a cult. And basically it was like anything that was different enough from what I believe. So that's the other theme besides the theme of amazing people coming in and me trusting my intuition in the moment, trusting that sense of like connection with that person. But the other theme I would say is the, uh, continuing to look at not what I believe, but why Yes, it's an, why is an uncomfortable question? It's why mm-hmm. it, it truly, I think it's when people talk about the terrible twos, part of that is because they just ask why like a hundred thousand mm-hmm. times. And sometimes the, sometimes there is literally no answer to the why. Okay, it's Mm -hmm. time for bed. Why? And it's like, could we, for our own selves, like just, just, just ask, ask why? Like, well, but why? You know? And um. And for some things, I don't really need to know why necessarily, but Mm -hmm. someone asking me why has um been a really good exercise in exploring. Um, other ways of viewing the world so I can understand people better. Cause that is actually like a, a big part of my passion and purpose on the planet is to connect with people, not from where I am, but over there where they are, if I can. And that, yeah. that takes the willingness to ask yourself the why questions, which are really uncomfortable. They are really uncomfortable. And it's why it's so important to have people in our lives who disagree with us. Right? It's it's something that we do less and less of at this point in time, because we are in this space where we make villain of those who disagree with us. And it's a really dangerous place to be. Mm-hmm. And while you were talking, I was I was thinking about this idea of leadership and self-leadership and intuitive leadership. And I'm, I'm wondering what you see in people who have that. Like, what does that, uh, does it allow them, if someone is in a place of intuitive leadership, does it allow them to enter into spaces with people who disagree with them? Because I think it's one of the most important things a leader can do. That's such a good question. Um, part of the workshop that I teach, I talk about that there are I've identified like what I call like three different ways that intuitive leadership can show up. So one way that intuitive leadership can show up is as a champion. So champions, their focus and goal is to stop all action and listen. And they provide 
you know, reflective listening and they lift people up. That's what championing people are. And sometimes mostly, and I'm not talking about motivation or inspiration, like not like a Tony Robbins kind of thing, but truly championing people like you have what you need. I believe in you go do the thing. You don't need me. That's a certain kind of leadership. And then another kind, I like to call it bridge building. And we do not have enough bridge builders in the world because bridge building requires that pausing and listening from all sides. And I think intuitive leaders have one of these kind of three personality types in my experience. And bridge builders ask amazing questions. If that's their leadership style, they are um, different than champions who are reflective. Bridge builders are, uh, they're good at like inviting and drawing people out. And then I think the last personality type is truth telling. And I think the powerful part about truth tellers and some of the people I work with um, are definitely truth tellers, either in their industry or um, just who they are in life and in their communities. Truth telling requires stopping all action to address the breakdown, like address what's not working. And it requires being um, responsible enough to acknowledge that what you're expressing is your truth, not the truth with a capital T. And that takes a lot of courage. So I would say that whether you're championing, bridge building, or you know, truth telling, it it definitely takes um, the will, like the the commonality between all three. It takes courage for sure. It takes um, uh, what I would say is like a willingness to uh, step out of what you know. They're all really curious people, in my experience. And then the like the last is. Um, this desire for radical collaboration, like the desire to bring, like they may not be the person who's bringing people together. Like that's a bridge builder. They may just be the person who stands up and says, this thing you're saying does not have any accuracy or, Hey, you can't say that. Why are you saying that about those kind of people? Like that's actually really not okay. And I can't speak for everyone, but I don't think this is what we're about. Right. You know, so it's like they have all of those qualities. And I think people aren't just one. I think in some in some scenarios, you might be more of a truth teller and other scenarios, maybe you're more of a champion. I think the thing about intuitive leaders is they're flexible and they're not fixed. So those are the, I would say those are the elements of intuitive leaders. Obviously they are intuitive, meaning they're reading the room. They're listening as such. They can read the room. They're courageous. And um they're flexible. And flexibility is important. And I was thinking, I was thinking two different thought streams at the same time while you were speaking. And that was one. So if you have someone whose natural pro proclivity is to be a bridge builder, do you work with them to build those other skills or do, or, but then the other side of me says we're, but we are one person and one of the things I think that is really challenging when people think about the word leadership is they take that on almost like armor and they become this, like, I am the leader, but the power in leadership is collective, right? When we are, when we can own our skills and yes, we can be flexible and we can move in and out, but generally most of us have a space where we have, where we feel a little bit more comfortable and we have a little bit more skill. And how do we help build those collaborative cultures where everybody gets to show up as a leader? Mm 
and everybody gets to bring in that piece of skill that they hold. I, so in my world, that is the best question to ask about leadership because that's different. It's different than how do we build people's leadership? What you asked was how do we, like, how do we invite or draw people's leadership out? Mm -hmm. Um, It's so, I don't think it's a simple, I don't think there's a simple answer, but I'll say this, like, as a, like in, in my experience in leading this communication workshop, I've been leading for a year in teams of leaders. Um, one in using the word radical collaboration, right? For me, the definition of radical collaboration is, um, the recognition that diversity exists and diversity could be age, um, gender, uh, cultural um, viewpoint of the world, right? That diversity exists. We could pretend it doesn't, but it actually does. So mm-hmm. all people are different. So I think radical collaboration acknowledges that. I think radical collaboration, <clears throat> excuse me, focuses on communication and not just any communication, but authentic communication, meaning that safe spaces are created that invite other people to share what's true for them. Like, whether or not it's popular or people don't think it's helpful or whatever. Um, And then I think the last part of radical collaboration is looking to see what does leadership look like um, in all levels of organization or community? Because I think about this all the time, right? So like in my grandmother's family, um, my dad's mom's um, family, um, it was always like, whatever your skills or gifts are, bring those. And everybody has different skills and gifts. Like some people are funny, so they lighten the mood. Some people are serious and thoughtful, but they're good listeners. So they bring this sense of like, you know, safety and listening. Some people are great cooks, so they should cook, right? Some people, um, they are more, they're creative. So they should be putting their art out in the world. Like my grandma, without ever saying it, was like, you know, it's important to be who you are because there's nobody else like you in the world. And if we give more people the, and I think this is like the true leadership is the invitation for people to be really who they are, letting them know that who they are can contribute to the overall fulfillment of whether it's the the purpose of the organization or the success of a community or whatever the case is. That's, I mean, probably just totally rambled on, but that's kind of like my perspective on, you know, leadership and how we, we glorify certain personality types. Like we really love extroverts, not so much introverts. However, introverts tend to be more observant. And so sometimes you need a person on your leadership team who's more observant. If we think about the DISC, you know, the, the DISC assessment, we have a tendency to think leaders are all D's, like they're like the big visionary. They love being on stage or the S's. I'm a, no, what is it? I'm the one that's more like the people person, right? But people who are tracking data, they also have a place at the table in leadership. People who are more quiet and observant, they have a place, you know, at the table. And so without saying the diversity word again, but really that's what DEI is about. It's about including everyone and the importance of doing so, so that you're at a table with different perspectives, which brings a more holistic and workable solution. So that's what I think. 
Stay tuned for more Transforming 45 after this quick break. Absolutely. And I'm really glad that you brought up diversity, equity, and inclusion, because it has become, a, it, it's the team I used to work on. Like that was, that was, that was our title. That was our branch that we worked under. And so watching that become a word or a phrase that isn't welcome in spaces anymore is, it's painful on a lot of levels. And also it's like, I'm in this place of stunned, a stunned reality of how is this happening? Because what you just said about creating spaces where everyone gets to show up and feel that they are included, that's what it's about, right? So I had started using the language of anti-oppression, which is even, you know, a little, even more challenging to say, but that is, that's the truth. Because until we, until we unravel the structures of oppression, diversity can't even really show itself because it's still, everyone is still changing themselves to fit into whatever structure box power dynamic exists. And so what I was thinking when you were talking about that collective leadership is that it is so grounded in really knowing yourself and understanding what you bring. And I think women, uh, women in particular at this phase of life, however you express yourself as, as a woman, we are expected to be all things to all people, right? So it is that like you are the CEO of your family, of your life, of whatever it is. And we are expected to be, to play all of the roles. And I think that also is true for female entrepreneurs. Like when I think about myself being fairly new in the, in this world, I am doing all the things from, you know, tech, to visioning, to, to all of it. And it's, it is such a challenging place to be because when we are at our best, it's when we get to show up as the most like, joyful version of ourselves, or we get to be creative, where we get to feel that flow coming through. And when we are expected to be all things, that's almost impossible. As you were talking, I was thinking about a podcast I listened to recently um, and Dr. Shafali, have you ever listened to anything about her? She talks about no. conscious parenting, but they were talking about this idea of um, oppression, this idea of leadership, right? So archi means leadership. And then whatever word you put in front of it just means what kind of leadership. And so she was talking about patriarchy and how at its core, there's actually nothing wrong with male leadership. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, and matriarchy, fundamentally, there's nothing wrong with it either. But sometimes what happens because of just the nature of being human and how we value things is that certain kinds of leadership is more valued than others. And it's it's extending kind of what we were just talking about. But when you were talking about, you know, being being uh, all the things <laughs> for all the people. Um, I was just thinking about like my husband and I are really, as far as gender, cisgender, like normative kind of rules, we have a pretty big uh, swap. Um, he is someone who it has a very high level of emotional intelligence. And um, 
just he always has. He's just very, very generous and kind, and his energy is very soft. And um, mine's not. Um, and it's just it's like the I I care like he cares, but how my caring shows up is a little bit is like more in the active energy, like I'm doing, whereas he holds space, you know. And so um, people often say to us, and it's all related to leadership, right? People often say to us that. Uh, and I promise it, I will tie it up nicely, but the <laughs> people often say to us like, oh my gosh, I wish I had that kind of marriage. And what we were, what we often say is that what it takes to have this kind of marriage is to give up power struggles, which is often the biggest breakdown in all leadership is power and, um, power at its core, just like patriarchy and matriarchy, oligarchy, <laughs> all the archies at its core power is just about, you know, it's in and of its essence, there's nothing wrong with it. Power is about energy. It's about, you know, the ability to have things show up in the world and be, and come to be. But when power struggles are present, um, it's often, it's often because the leadership is such that people don't know how to either trust leadership. And so there's a fighting against leadership or there's no one actually taking leadership. And so everybody's trying to take it at once. And um, my husband and I are just this often practice, like in the micro, what it looks like to be in dialogue, conversation, relationship that does not require power struggle. And, you know, that's yeah. hard sometimes. It is. It when you were talking, it made me think about the different power structures, right? So power over, and often when we're talking about leadership, it's power over, right? Where the truth of leadership that is sustainable and community creating is power to or power with, right? And similarly, I, I am. You know, we've worked hard at it, but our relationship is very similar with my husband is that we are very much power with and we include our children in that. And it's part of why I actually had. So my last year as an educator, I was teaching grade six online and it, it was remarkably challenging trying to create a community where mm -hmm. kids wanted to come to every day and felt seen and heard. So one of the things I decided to do at the beginning of the year was to tell them to call me by my first name yeah <laughs> and that was and it was and we i had this com this power conversation with them and i said i have no desire to have power over you so by you calling me lisa that makes me part of this community does that mean that i'm going to show up as your best friend no does it mean that there still is that there has to be mutual respect between all of us yes and when you can call me lisa one that's how that's how I identify. Mrs. Boat is my mother-in-law. And I have always been like, when someone calls me that, I'm like, who are you talking to? Is she here? <laughs> and Lisa is who I am. And I sent, so I sent a letter home to the parents explaining this. I said, you're going to hear them calling me this. This is the reason why. It is not because I'm abandoning myself as, you know, the structural creator of this classroom, but I am working to create a community that is all about power with. And it was, it was one of the most energy expensive things I've ever done, 
but those kids who showed up brought their whole selves and they felt the responsibility of that classroom. And I can give you one example of how it actually played out because my internet at the school I was at died. And all of a sudden I was like, "Mm, they're gone. Like they're on their own. But it took me a little while to sort of sort out what, what was happening. And while that, while I'm sorting out the tech issues, I get an email from one of my students and she says this, don't worry, Lisa, we've got it. I'm going to take on the math lesson. The student is taking on um, the literacy component. We'll be here whenever you get back. And we've set up a space for anybody who needs help. That is power with. And it is an example of what can happen when leaders do that. Hmm. That just makes me think about um, what it is to empower, right? Like not just E-M, but I-N, empower others. Yeah. It. Um, I, it's swapping topics a little bit, but Mm -hmm. I think about, you know, us as people who identify as women over 45 and one of the places where I just see it myself, but also other women really give our power away is an obsessive, almost like focus on, um, not being young anymore. Yes. And like just our, and I've been, you know, I'm curious about it. So I talk to other women our age and ask a lot of questions like, is this just my experience? But it's not for sure. It's definitely universal. And then even when people are like, oh, I'm 30 now, because I have some clients who are younger and I'm like, oh my goodness. And uh, there is a balance between like recognizing that 47 years of life means I've had some life experiences that um, are contributory to the community because I know some things now that I didn't know when I was 22. Um, but also that it doesn't mean that I, like what old means. I don't, you know what I'm, it's, it's also like, what is leadership look like that is inclusive? Like we're talking about, right? Like how do we create community and leadership that includes the voices of people who are senior age, like 70 and 80, how do we include the voice of people who are young, who are, you know, even your sixth graders, right? But like, like, how do we create a place where everyone's voice is welcome? And the one thing I will say about my family, my mom's family, um, all academics, is they never talk to me like a kid. Do you know what I mean? There's, my therapist has some things to say about that, obviously. However, I will say that the one real benefit of that was being taught critical thinking at like eight. Yes. And that's, that is critical, right? And trusting that young humans are capable because there is this um, move right now toward extreme protectionism of children. Mm-hmm. And that the only thing that's really doing is stripping away their own, their humanity of those children and saying, you are not capable. You are not able to do this. And there, there's all kinds of studies that show that like by the ages of three or four children actually are are capable of critical thinking, of looking at something and asking questions. And when, but what we do going back to that power conversation is take the power from them. Right. And so that when you were talking about the different sort of generations, it is creating a space where the voices of all are welcome and respected. 
because there's great power in cross-generational leadership. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to go back to the thing I was saying earlier about the glorification of youthfulness and as women, like looking at that, I, I, I'm like, I'm stringing some maybe things that wouldn't go together, but who I know who listens to your podcast. And there are times when we're not critically um, looking at the narrative that we're part of as women over 45. Like we're just maybe not even identifying how how uh, imperative it is that we question something we just hold and believe to be true as true and our own intuitive leadership. And I think that's part of intuitive leadership too, is, is being in that space of curiosity, kind of that thing we started with way back at the beginning of our conversation about my, my story and the themes that go through it. Part of which is like being curious and wondering, like wondering and, uh, and, you know, in this case, being critical, like not critical, like making wrong, but being critical of the way that we view our own leadership in our own families, our own way that we view our bodies and the aging body, the way that we view youth and glorify that, or we hold it as, you know, naive. It's like the, on my bottle, which people wouldn't be able to see, but on my bottle, my water bottle is the sticker that says pathological optimist. And in my family, I think it was always believed that eventually I would grow out of being this optimistic person that I am. And I just never have because part of my own intuitive leadership is all this sort of questioning curiosity I have for the betterment of all, for for being the best version of myself and for being the best version of marriage, the best version of a company. Um, not because I know what the perfect version is, but because I'm curious about what a better version than the one I believe, experience, and living are. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And I think that ties really well with that. It, at, at women at this phase of life, questioning and being curious, instead of accepting the narrative that currently exists where we are invisible in many ways right? Like not even just not heard anymore, but it's like we don't exist in in a lot of spaces. And being curious about that and approaching this phase with that curiosity of why is that? Because I right now am at my most wise that I have at this point in my life, like this is not the destination, obviously. But in this moment, I am the most wise I have ever been. I am the most grounded I have ever been. And it's because of my lived experience. And so I am asking the questions of how do I make myself visible here and write a chapter that is clearly visible and respected. And so I think that's a really um, important structure for people to think about. In the tradition um, of archetypes, right, or how important archetypes are, um, there is the archetype of the maiden, right? Youthful, young. And then there's the archetype of mother, which is like very also glorified. I'm not a mother. I chose not to do that. And then there is, but I birthed a business, not the same thing, Mm -hmm. but you get that. And then there's crone, but there's not really ever been this archetype for in between mother and crone, right? This Mm -hmm. fourth. And so I have, you know, 
a wicked smart friend who has her PhD in this gender studies sociology. And she likes to call the stage that us women are at right now, the queen stage. Yes. And I've, I've really, um, to, I've leaned into well, what does queen mean? Right. And if you think about it from like a, like a more archetype, the, the king is external power, which makes sense, right? Masculine is external power, but the feminine is internal power. And it's all the stuff we've been talking about. It's knowing who you are. It's recognizing why you believe what you believe. It's identifying how you want your leadership to show up in your family, in your community, in your work with your clients. But it's more from not like a what they would expect or what the right way to be is like we were talking about before, but more like that intuitive leadership, which is what in this moment feels like is needed and is authentic for me to share, offer and show up as, and that's mm-hmm. the queen. And so I like to say that we are in our queen phase of our life, our lived in life experience. And um, when I think about queen, it is way more empowering for where I am right now, way, way, way more realistic and empowering than thinking about crone. I don't feel like I'm there yet. Um, and I honor crone, but I just don't feel like I'm there yet. And so I've really loved that, that mm-hmm. queen. It feels very, it feels powerful. It feels um, like this word sovereignty, like recognizing my own sovereignty and the reigning of my sovereignty over myself and um, what I want to be present in the world, which is why I love working with leaders. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, that feels right to me. That feels, you know, especially when we talk about that idea of sovereign, right? Mm. That I have now in this place, I am now finally able to show up as the leader that I actually am because there's no more constraints, right? There, I'm actually able to make the decisions that I want to make without the external factors of other people's expectations because I've gotten to this place where I've asked the question, what do I actually want? Whereas when we're younger, often the question is, well, what do I need to do, right, to satisfy the people who are around me? And and I so it's really beautiful. And now you also have me wondering about and how do we evolve this notion of crone? And crone is like there's not it is inherently a really beautiful thing, but we've built up all of this like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, an archetype, right? We've built up all of this archetype around what it means to be crone. And so maybe there's an evolution of the sovereignty, right? Of there, like the, I don't have the words for it yet, but I, I feel like there's something bubbling. Yeah, probably wise woman that in, in my, in my spiritual yes. circle, we, we say when you enter the crone phase, you now become the wise woman of the circle. Yes. And I've loved that because there have been a couple women within the community that have done, like that have, you know, turned 60 and for themselves really are ready for themselves are ready to claim their sovereignty over crone, over wise woman. And, um, you know, I think about it, like you were, I just like, I love when you were talking about your students that even though you weren't with them, their leadership showed up and they, and they, um, you know, knew what was, knew what they were capable of and wanted to do it. And I think that's probably why it, it, 
one of the things that I often think about is like, there is no one way for anything. And anyone who's saying that there's one way, it I'm questioning. Meaning for me, if you are a woman and you want to have plastic surgery, go ahead. If you are a woman and you don't, and you think it's wrong, like there's room for that too. Like I wonder, and it's really like my wondering always, and you know, it could just be my having a biker dad and a hippie mom and just growing up with two completely oppositional worldviews, like literally my whole life. But I'm always like, well, I wonder, I wonder what else, like, is it, is there room for uh, the diversity that we say that we want there to be room for. And then the reflection for me is always, am I okay with being like five different people inside of myself? Like, can I make room for the part of myself that wants to throat punch people who say dumb crap? You know what I mean? Like you just want to throat punch people sometimes, but can I also make room for like the part of me that is pathologically optimistic and even maybe occurring as naive to people that I actually think it's possible for people of diverse backgrounds and beliefs to get along. Um, I think that, like we said earlier, the queen phase is the reflection of making room for all the different being, all the different us's that we have been, all the different eyes that we've been making room for all of them so that when we are being in our leadership, we pull from all these different capacities and skills we have, all these different people we've been, right? Someone who's only focused on taking care of others. Well, we need that. We need access to that capacity, the same as we need the access to like a no and taking care of ourselves. So yeah, it um, there is so much more life to come and I have no idea exactly what it's going to look like. But I personally at 47, I'm I love this age and I'm curious and excited about what the rest of it's going to look like. Yeah, I am with you. I feel exactly the same way. And one of the things I think about a lot is I might not know what my next chapter is going to look like, but I deserve for it to be great. Mm-hmm. And that is the beauty. I think of this when you were talking again, there it was that idea of self-sovereignty, right? That in my queendom, there is room for all of the different aspects of myself to exist and that I, I make decisions for myself. And in doing that, I make space for everybody else to have their own queendoms and they get to make their self, their self-sovereign choices for themselves. Yep. Yeah. I love that. Queens, um, you know, straighten other Queens crown without pointing out that it was crooked. I'm like, yeah. What does that look like? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. This is such a beautiful conversation. You know, despite all of our technical hiccups, <laughs> we ended up landing this plane in a really good place. Um, I will make sure if you want to work with Shoshana, all of her contact information will be in the show notes. Um, is there any last thought that you want to leave people with? If you're, um, I didn't do this, but if you're curious about intuition, this is how I define it. So intuition is a direct way of knowing or understanding something without any prior experience. And so if you're someone who your intuition comes to you, but maybe you've just never used it, um, I like to offer this. uh, It's like an acronym, PALS, become PALS with your intuition, pause. So like stop all action and get quiet ask good questions. 
genuinely curious questions. Listen, like take the time to listen and then finally strengthen, which just means practice. So if you are listening to this and you're like, I don't know, in your queendom, there is room for you to be pals with your intuition. And that is the way to do it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for this conversation today. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on this transformative journey. Your support means the world. If you resonated with our conversation and want to uplift the Transforming 45 community, here's what you can do. Connect with me about how you can reclaim your own magic. Check the show notes for all the ways you can find me. Subscribe and share. Hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And if you found value here, share it with friends, family, and anyone seeking inspiration. Leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your words can make a significant impact and help others find their way to these transformative stories. Join the conversation on social media platforms. Follow us on Instagram at Lboat. You can also find me on Facebook and TikTok. And if you know someone whose story could inspire others, reach out and let me know. I love connecting with diverse voices that carry the power to transform lives. Remember, your support fuels my mission to share authentic stories of transformation. Thank you for being part of the Transforming 45 family. Until next time, keep shining your light and embracing your journey. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage, behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for the The Candle Candle Power Power Hour. Hour. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an Electric Cast production.